thank you all. You can all have a seat. Well, our kids are uh, dismissed to our, their children's time at the kids' table, and they'll be joining us at time for celebration of our table here at Communion, too. So uh, they have a special instruction with them today. So, um, so welcome, everyone. I am glad to be with you here today on our, our second Sunday of Advent. And this is an anticipatory season. If you didn't know, we're anticipating the birth of Christ. That's what we celebrate. The Advent literally means coming. And, um, but also looking ahead towards the promise that he will come again. And um, so we're kind of doing both simultaneously. And, and through this season, we're in this series we started last week called Regifted. Regifted. And um, talking about how Regifting things is something we've all experienced, right? Whether on the giving end or the receiving end. And, and usually it kind of takes a little bit of a condescending or a negative tone, like, you know, we kind of whisper about regifting. But instead, we're turning it to a positive light to say, how can we regift, pass on the things that God has gifted to us? Instead of passing on something we receive that we don't want, you know, the fruitcake, the ugly ornament, you know, the sweater, whatever it is. Instead of passing on something we don't want, we pass on something that we do and that we want also others to experience. Because I don't know about you, but reflecting on this, God has given us so many gifts. When you just take a moment to see them, to know them. And in the incarnation, which is a big word that means Jesus, born in the flesh, to be in the flesh, that's what we call Jesus, that God came down to be in the flesh. When Jesus was born, he gave the gift of himself and, and what he would do later on the cross. And last week, we started off our first week of Advent with the gift of hope, the gift of hope, and, and how even when there's not much evidence around us, we can still have hope, and that's because of God's promises to us. But today, today for the second week, we're going to be re-entering the re-gifting the gift of peace, of peace. And of course, around this time of year, I don't know about you, I would guess you do too, but many of us have a tradition of watching certain movies, right? Who, do you have a tradition of watching a, cer a certain movie or a show? Maybe there's a whole channel that you've been watching since September or whenever it started. Um, not speaking to you, Becca, Cratch, Hallmark, Addicts. Um, but what are, some, what are some popular movies? What are some movies that you tend to watch every year around Chris, the Christmas season? Anyone? You can just shout out. And guys online, you can, you can say in the, tech, in the text, it's a wonderful life, yes, right? Isn't that every time a bell rings, the angel gets its wings? I think I've seen it through once at some point, but it is a good show, yes. Any other favorite movies? Home Alone, yes, right? The classic, that's, I guess it's classic now. It, it's a play? It's a play now. Wow, I did not know that. Okay, any other movies favorite? Elf? Yeah, the elf, right. Santa, I know him, which actually breakfast, breakfast with Santa yesterday. I did know Santa, which is very cool. Well, what's another one? Another f oh, die, die Hard. I don't understand that. Die Hard. You guys online, do you agree? Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I, okay. Well, anyway, my, my, kind of, my family tradition growing up, um, we had a favorite that I continue to watch to this day, and that is... National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. 
Yes, that's a fantastic one. And many of you all have seen this. Who has seen this? Raise your hand. Okay, well, if you, even if you haven't, the story is super simple. Uh, there's this guy, the patri- basically the patriarch of the family, Clark W. Griswold. And the whole goal of the movie during it is that Clark is trying to create the perfect holiday for his family. And, and it's in his head. It starts out in his head. He has an ideal image of what Christmas should be and what it should feel like and look like and all the things. He had an ideal image in his head about all these things that Christmas should be. And basically the entire movie is his mission to try to make this happen for his family. Well, even if you haven't seen it, you already probably know what happens. (laughs) Nothing at all turns out his way. And basically from the beginning scene when they're going to get their Christmas tree, and Clark forgets the axe, and they wind up having to like uproot this thing and drive home with it. Um, then things keep going from d- downhill from there. Um, he goes to turn on and decorate the Christmas lights, and lo and behold, not only are they in a big knot, but when they put them all up, what happens? They don't work, right? And at that time, you know, what is this, 1980, I forgot to look up the year, but 1980-something, they were all like in uh, a series, meaning not like if one went out, you had to check the whole strand, so you had to check on every single light there. Comes time for shopping, the whole family's going to go Christmas shopping, and Clark gets locked in where? The attic! He gets stuck in the attic, and he's stuck there, and, and then family shows up, right? Family shows up, beloved family! And they're all bickering, and they hate one another, and there's all these feuds. And then there's another part of the family, the unexpected part of the family, that shows up, and they reveal that they're staying for a month. Isn't that fantastic, right? And they stay for a month, and then Clark goes to work, and he gets fired from his job. And the movie ends, spoiler alert, with the whole entire house being destroyed and everything going to a mess. Well, Christmas for Clark wound up being a lot different than the image that he had in his head. And what's interesting, throughout the whole movie, the more that he tried to control and manufacture Christmas, the worse things got. And the movie's funny for us. I watch it year after year after year. You know, the cat scene, that's a really favorite one of mine. The, you know, everybody saying um, grace for dinner, right? And do Pledge of Allegiance. It's so funny. It's so funny for us to watch someone so trying to control things that just never really happen. It's funny when it happens to somebody else. <laughs> it's not so funny when it happens to you. And I would say, you know, you can think about this. You probably have a similar story. You know, has there ever, have you ever had a picture in your head of how you wanted something to be only to have it not turn out the way that you wanted it? Maybe you had planned an event for your family. Maybe it has to do with Christmas, maybe not. And you worked hard and then people bailed, didn't show up. Or somebody got sick, right? COVID happened. Or the family that you wanted to get together, nobody got along. Or the friends that you brought, nobody talked to one another. Maybe you had a, have had a picture in your head of a great reconciliation, between people, maybe yourself and someone else, or between other people, and you thought that, hey, we can just get past this thing that happened, and we can move on, and that person didn't respond, and didn't want forgiveness, and really didn't want to be in relationship at all. Despite our best intentions, 
we find that we can't manufacture the outcome to a lot of things. And especially when it comes to Christmas. And for many of us, it, it really, it leaves us angry, it leaves us feeling frustrated or anxious or dissatisfied. Some of us are left even feeling cynical. Um, but the bigger thing is we're left with no peace. No peace. Have you ever been asked the question, if you had one wish, what would it be? And um, many people would respond saying things like money, you know, I'd love a lot of money, I'd love the lottery. I'd ask you, really? You know, look at the stories of people that have won the lottery, by the way. But I would want happiness, I wish for happiness. Some of us would wish for a spouse, or the classic, I would wish for more wishes, right? Which is an illegal response, by the way, to that question. But I would submit to you that I think what so many people really want in life or searching for is peace. Is peace, not perfection, is peace. Because peace transcends things. You can have money in the bank, but you can have no peace in your heart. You can be successful on the outside, but be very, very empty on the inside. You can be married or have a significant other, but have no peace in your life. You can have perfect children, but still experience no peace. And many people, many people are searching for something that don't even know really what it is. And, and over and over again, we, we try to control things and make them happen to suit images in our head or that we are conditioned by what we see online. And we have a picture in our head of what a good life should look like. Only we find out we actually have the opposite. We have no peace. But the question is, the question I want to get after today is, but what is this peace? What is this peace that we're really seeking? Uh, it's interesting, the word most associated with the birth of Jesus and Jesus overall is peace. Over and over and over again. And last week, the story we looked at uh, leading up to the Christmas story is the story of Zechariah, just kind of Cliff Notes version. He and his wife were priests, or he was a priest in the temple, came from a priestly background. And for, for hundreds of years, they had people, his people, the Jewish people, had waited for the coming of a Messiah, and nothing happened. And, and so he was serving God. He and his wife were serving God, and they were faithful they were good. They were following all the good things that they should do. And, and they found out year after year after year as well, personally, they found out they were infertile. They couldn't have children. And they still held on to hope. Well, the time came for Zechariah to serve in the temple. And in, he goes in, in the temple, and that's when he meets the angel Gabriel, the scary angel, right? Scary, not the cute little angel, the scary angel. And the angel shares that his wife, even though she's up there in years, right, she's elderly, she's going to have a son and there to name him John. And this John would become John the Baptist who would prepare the way for the Messiah. But when Zechariah replies to the angel to question how this could be, he's struck mute. He's not able to speak for all nine months of Elizabeth's pregnancy. She was like, praise the Lord, right? And he comes out of the temple he cannot give the benediction of atonement that would have taken place at that time. Hint, hint, hint about Jesus. And Elizabeth goes and becomes pregnant. Zechariah cannot speak for that time. Well, the time comes for this baby to be born. And once this baby is born, there's a special ceremony for naming. Uh, for naming. 
And Elizabeth is like, well, apparently this boy, this miraculous birth should be named John. And of course, what happens when you kind of bring up your thoughts to the rest of the family? They disagree. They're like, no, 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 no. You can't name him John. There's nobody in the background in our line. That grandpa has a different name. You should name him after him. Well, Zechariah, of course, can't talk. So he had been getting used to getting a little stone tablet there. You know, didn't have phones to text in those days. So he got a little tablet. He's getting ready to write. Well, lo and behold, he's able to speak. And he verifies that, yes, we're to call this baby John. Well, what follows in the scripture is what is called Zechariah's song. And, and it's a song that's written and, and probably had a melody to it. Well, Zechariah, of course, is elated. He's able to speak. But even more so, he's elated about what is to come and who is to come. And he speaks this. He speaks this song. He shares this song over his son, John. And we're going to share this, the last part of his song, starting in Luke chapter 1, verses 76 to 79. He says, And you, my child, I'm not going to sing for you, by the way. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven and shine on those living in the darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the path of what? Peace. Peace. The word peace. We see it over and over and over in Scripture, and especially when it comes to reference about the coming Messiah. And, and even before Jesus is born, if we back up about 600 to 700 years, 600 to 700 BC, we see a prophecy that the prophet Isaiah speaks to the people of his time. And he says this in Isaiah 9, 6, he says, for to, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, all powers will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of what? Peace, peace. And then we, if we take, we rewind, if we fast forward, we see at the birth of Jesus, when Jesus is born, the angels make the announcement, and they say this in Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest heaven on earth, what? Peace, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace, 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 peace constantly appears. And Jesus, Jesus, when he grows up, and he has these disciples following him. Every time he would greet certain people, he would say the words, go in peace. Even before he went to the cross, he told his disciples, peace I leave with you. Even after the resurrection. So he goes to the cross. Three days later, he's resurrected. He appears to all the disciples. He appears to uh, hundreds of people. After the resurrection, his words to those that he encounters are, peace be with you. Peace is an essential part of Jesus, an essential part of Jesus' presence. But the thing is, Jesus' picture of peace is much different than what we usually think of as peace. It's much different. And it's worth asking, well, what is this peace that Jesus is supposed to bring? And how do we receive it? How do we get it? How do we find it? We usually think of peace as an absence of conflict, right? 
when people are getting along, you know, try to make, make nice nice, you try to have peace. And actually for the Israelites, they would have also heard that word as peace, meaning something that's out there, a kind of militaristic or economic or societal type of peace, something that's happening in the world and in the neighborhood and in the community. And the truth of the matter is, yes, it is. Yes, it is. God is on the mission and the goal of making things right in our world. But that's not the first place he goes. Because if we look closely, we see this kind of peace alludes to something more, to a starting point. See, the Old Testament word for peace, it comes from a really, really rich Hebrew word that I I know many of you have heard before called shalom. Shalom. And in the Greek, the Greek word is irene, irene. And they both really have a very, very close tie. And it's interesting, Irene is, is the Greek word that Luke is using over and over and over here. It tends to be highlighted in the Gospels, but not many times in secular writings at all. And, and the word is actually alluding to a Jewish greeting. You would say shalom to somebody when you say hello, and you would also say shalom to someone when you would say goodbye. And it'd be something that you would say to one another in a, in a greeting. And the word shalom, though, it doesn't mean necessarily absence of conflict or tension. It means wholeness. It means completeness. It means fullness. Irene means totally that the essential parts are joined together to make something complete. The thing about the kind of peace Jesus offers, once again, is its starting point. It starts not on the outside. It has to start on the inside. I remember once um, I was reading through in seminary some of the sermons of um, Archbishop Desmond Tutu. Uh, maybe you've heard of him. He was a bit archbishop in apartheid South Africa um, years ago, and he written, had written many sermons. This is part of racial division among people. And he said this. He started at the beginning of one of his sermons. He said, if we are ever to accomplish a peace out there, we have to start by finding a peace that begins in here. It doesn't go the other way. You, you can't have this. You have to start with this before you get to this. And when we talk about peace, uh, while, while we talk about it on a large scale, and I believe that's God's, once again, mission and goal for the world, it's the internal peace that we have to start with. And you know this. You know, you know someone that has no peace, and what are they most commonly uh, the cause of? Conflict, right, and fights, you can, you, there's very rarely a time when someone who is, uh, has internal peace that goes and stirs up trouble and stirs up a fight. It always starts in here. And I think that's what many of us need this Advent. And, and the Apostle Paul reminds us about this in his letter to the Philippian church. The Philippian church that he writes in Philippians chapter 4. And he says this, this is some of my favorite scripture here. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, the peace of God which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. Wow, that's, that's powerful. And it shows us that peace is not the absence of stress and worry, but the presence of God. 
Peace indicates the presence of God. See, in that scripture, Paul doesn't say when situations will be resolved the way you want them, when they turn out the exact way you had pictured in your mind, or they turn out perfectly, only then will you be given peace. He doesn't say that there. Instead, he indicates that the presence of Christ indicates and leads to peace. And did you know that because of Jesus, you can have peace with God? You can be assured of your peace with God through Jesus. And that means, too, the good news is you can actually have peace with yourself. I don't know how many of us struggle with that, having peace with ourselves that we have so many regrets and failures and struggles. But Jesus is promising, yeah, you can have peace with God and you can have peace with yourself. And that leads to then peace with your neighbor, to peace with others. For Paul, There's a relationship between Jesus being near and our ability to experience peace. Have you ever had that? Have you ever experienced that? That there's so much that's going on outside, but you still had that sense of peace no matter what? Um, I I shared with uh, many of you this week, I had a a friend of mine whose son I got to know recently. Um, He passed away, age 18, from cancer. And um, a tragic situation, a year and a half diagnosed, and uh, he was well known in in the church and the Nazarene district that we're a part of. And um, and I read something about his last day that he was with his family, and he was talking with his sister and his mom, and he was worried. And he's worried, you know, what, I believe in Jesus, and I know that there's a heaven, and I know it's good. I'm sick of this pain that I'm undergoing. And then his mom said that. It was like a, just a light almost like came from within him and lit up. And even in the midst of his pain, she said, there was just a great peace that just settled on him. And he knew, and he was assured to say, you're going to be all right. You're going to have peace. You have peace now, and my peace will transcend this time and even this lifetime into the next. And, and, and that peace, folks, is, is not just for someone who is ready to pass on. It's a peace that we can experience here and now. The relationship between Jesus being near and us experience peace. But of course, it's a choice. Peace is not something we find, but it's something that we receive. It's a gift. Sometimes we don't want peace. Sometimes we'd rather be in conflict if we really admitted it to ourselves. We'd rather fight our way. We'd rather want to be God of our lives and have it our way and and have the one up on others and and ourselves and be in control. and, And we wrestle with that over and over and over. But the true peace comes from the promise that God is present, that we can trust him, that he is at work, and he will make things right. It's trusting that. It's receiving that as a gift from God. But the thing about the kind of peace that Jesus offers as well is that it's not if-then peace. It's not tied to our picture of what peace actually is, but rather it's called even-though peace. It's not if-then. Let me give you an example. Um, I wrestle with this idea of, um, and you can fill in the blank here, when it's over, when it, when blank is over, it'll all be okay, right? You ever go there, you ever think like, when I finally finish blank, It'll be, it'll be fine. I'll feel better. I'll, you know, everything will be wonderful and that kind of thing. You know, it's kind of if-then peace. When this happens, 
then I'll get a break. Then I'll experience peace. Then I'll, I'll have that sense. Um, but then I experienced the fall season in central Pennsylvania and the endless leaves and raking that comes with autumn in these parts and the trees that look wonderful in the summertime and provide so much shade and then drop their leaves on the ground and resulting in hours and hours of raking time and time again, six times as a matter of fact. And again and again, I found myself in the yard raking and praise Jesus for leaf blowers and uh, going and piling things at the curb and praise Jesus again for the guys that come around and like scoop that all up, at least in our township or our borough, townships, boroughs, that same thing. And, um, and just again and again, I would come home and what would I see all covering the yard after I had just cleaned it? Leaves, yes everywhere and again and again i was like okay this is the last time have you ever told yourself that this is like the last time this is going to be good and and then my leaf blower broke and i'm like i borrowed becca's and i'm like out there i'm like determined when i finish these leaves finally finally i can have peace well i can say there's one more week of leaf pickup and i'm still not done and i i've learned in myself even through this this season that when I tie peace to the way that I want things to be, it's always temporary and it's always so difficult to grasp. It never happens. It never happens. It's like the leaves, they just keep coming down, right? They keep coming, they keep covering your yard and everybody else's. But that, that I think is a lesson that this is not if then peace, this is even though. Even though our lives are cluttered with all kinds of leaves per se, that even though I can still experience God's peace. And I think Christmas invites us that, that the Advent season invites us to find our peace elsewhere than what the world around us is telling us. Finding peace, that shalom, doesn't come from perfection. That chasing perfection is, is not where our peace comes from. It comes in the midst of imperfection. That's what makes it from, come from God when we anchor our hope in him. There's a quote that resonates with me um, that has over the years, you can control the inputs in your life, but you cannot control the outputs. We can control the inputs. We can control what we do, but we can't always control, and we usually can't control what happens. And this is not just true with, with the history of Christmas, Jesus is coming, but I think it's true also in the harder things. There's a certain peace that comes from knowing God is control, in control regardless of what the outcome is. It's even though kind of peace. And the good news, the good news of Advent is that you can't control it, but you don't have to. You don't have to. The Messiah, Jesus would come who would accomplish what we cannot, would accomplish and pull off what we cannot. See, Jesus can do what you cannot do. He can save what you cannot save. He can control what you cannot control. It's knowing and believing and trusting and trusting him, which brings peace. Well, going back to one of my favorite movies, The National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, Another, the spoiler of the end of the movie, the, the end scene 
uh, ends with everyone standing in the front lawn of Clark Griswold's house. The whole family, the invited ones, the uninvited ones, the police cars, just everybody. It's been a fiasco. The house's windows have been busted up. The sewer line blows up. Imagine that. And there's Santa lit across the sky in fire. <laughs> Everything is in ruin. But here's the irony. At the end scene, the last scene, when everything is falling apart, you see this look on Clark Griswold's face. It's as if Clark Griswold finally finds what he had been looking for all along. It's only at the end that he discovers an authentic sense of peace, a peace that's received not because of what's going on, but that is seen as a gift. It didn't come from things working out the way he thought, but it came from letting go. True peace comes by letting go. By letting go of our control, from letting go of the picture that we had, from trying to fit pieces together that we thought we needed to do. And I hope that for you, this Advent season, I hope things don't have to blow up for you to recognize a new source of peace. I hope that you would recognize that peace is not found in everything turning out perfectly, because it's not. But instead, it can come from the promise of Christmas, of God with us, Emmanuel, and the person of Jesus once, and his promise of coming again. That God is actively at work, even when we don't see him, he's actively at work bringing about good behind the scenes. Of course, there's an old cliche that says, let go and let God. Maybe you've heard that before, and as cheesy as it is, I find it to be true. It's a reminder for me. It's a reminder for us. I mean, what if receiving the gift of peace and then regifting it to others simply involved letting go? Letting go. Letting go maybe for you of a perfect vision of what your kids should look like or perfection of the next couple weeks leading up to Christmas and all the plans that you have and the parties and the people. And maybe it's letting go of the picture that you had of what life would look like, as hard as that is. Maybe it's letting go that, of the need that you are the one in the family that has to have it all together. Maybe it's letting go of expectations of people, expectations that people have for you, who you know and who you love. Maybe letting go of the need of making everything perfect. Maybe letting go of the need to have approval. Letting go of something that you're trying to control. Because maybe there's a gift waiting for you. A gift waiting for you in the midst of chaos. One that you might pass on from being inside. The gift of peace to being outside. That you would extend to others. That others would see and sense and know and realize the power of that peace. And I wanted to remind you and to remember that as we let go, we can remember the good news of Advent. That while we're not in control, we have a God who is. We can have peace with him. That Jesus is called a savior and a king which means that he comes to save and to fix things we cannot save and fix. He is, he is a God who is in control, and he comes to rule so we don't have to think and believe that we have to. We can try to find peace in controlling things, 
where we can find peace in letting go of things and letting God be in control. Because it's possible to have peace with God. It's our choice to let go and let him in.